Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Hey, Christy, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. What's up with these glasses? Well, they're, they're reading glasses and I think they look, I think they look even bigger when I have the flat brim on. So <laughs> it's quite the attire I have on today. So um, I, I can, need to go get my regular ones. Yeah. It's like your hat and then the, the and glasses. Big green glasses. Yeah. They look super cute. I like them, but I think they're super cute. cute. <laughs> I just had to get reading glasses and I'm still trying to get used to them. Has this been work. on um, any of the feisty menopause <laughs> <laughs> reading glasses? Like what age that happens at? Cause I'm sure this is all related to menopause. Yeah. Well, so my eye doctor, cause I'm actually turning 46 in a couple of weeks. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And yeah. my eye doctor uh, was shocked that I didn't need reading glasses yet when I went last year. So this year was when I finally started to need them, but yeah, uh, I do wear contacts, but you know, that's a stick for astigmatism. So that doesn't, your reading issues still happen. So it's a bummer, but she did say that more and more people are having to get reading glasses this year because I was spending so much time in front of the computer. Well, that's gotta be true. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the only way I know you is seeing you on the computer. <laughs> I can't wait until we see each other in person so soon, but we won't be seeing each other in person in Oklahoma. That's true. Mid-South is, uh, well, it's incredibly socially distanced now. Yeah. It sounds like they, which we, which Sally told us when we talked to her uh, in the fall, it was one of our podcasts, maybe November, but she yeah, told us okay. they had a plan. They kind of knew this could happen. Even when we, you know, got offline, she talked about they they knew this could happen. So it sounds like they've partnered with a lot of bike shops around the country and yeah, are doing some cool things. So I like yeah. that. I love it. And uh, uh, Gravel City Adventure and Supply is one of those bike shops. So I'm stoked that we've got one right here in my backyard. But um, I think that they're really looking to reach out and make sure people have a way to experience coming together while being far apart. However you do that. Well, we, I mean, we've got experience doing that. We've been doing it for almost a year now. <laughs> yeah. I should like 
like um, see if there's one in uh, the in Georgia because we are known for our red clay. If you go a little south of here, you can find some mud. Well, if not, you should have your bike shop. And March tends to be a yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So uh, we had a big week in our country. Did you watch Uh, the inauguration? Watched it through tears. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Through wet eyes. Yes, I did. Me too. Uh, Yeah. I don't know how you couldn't. I mean, I understand that, you know, politics are politics, but um, putting a female in the White House just felt like um, long overdue, but also something to pretty much to celebrate in my, in my book. Yeah. So. Yes, I dug out my grandmother's pearls for the occasion. I don't ever dress up, especially since I don't go to an office. I haven't gone to an office even before the pandemic. I wasn't going to an office. And I almost 100% of the time would just rather be comfortable. But I was like, today deserves to be dressed up. So I wore a cute top, my grandma's pearls, my Chuck Taylors. But I still wear your pants because there's no reason to get crazy. (laughs) I, I, I uh, did, I got dressed up too. So, um, but my, I had my Stetson, one of my new hats on. So uh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Your fancy Stetson for the occasion. For the, for the occasion, it felt like the right thing to do. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was just a good day. It felt, I read somebody posted, it feels like I, stopped holding my breath and took the deepest breath of my lifetime all in the same day. I was like, yeah, I think that that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. And Amanda Gorman, man, if you did not hear her poem, I've listened to it like every day. So powerful. I, I was going to say she stole the show, but there were so many show stealing moments. Is that the right way to say that? that I just couldn't believe it. I, I, it's weird because I know, you know, obviously it was different, a different inauguration, not only because of the attacks on the Capitol two weeks prior, but COVID um, and having an administration that's sensitive to that, you knew it was gonna be socially distanced and much more, you know, just, just smaller. But the emphasis that then they put on in making the event available to the public more so like it just felt like they thought about it virtually and I felt like it was the first inauguration that felt like it was catering to everybody not just those that could be there and that was I just I thought that was it was a happy side effect of that in my book so yeah yeah it did it felt uh like you were there with it and even you know like in the the night there's usually the inaugural balls and stuff but I watched of course all the programming at night too and it was just really cool seeing um I don't did you see that the kid Braden that uh Joe Biden met that had the stutter on the campaign trail and they had him come on and read one of the quotes and I was just like bawling my eyes out because he was reading it without stuttering like because Joe Biden had helped him anyway you know this isn't a political show, but I personally think character really matters in our leaders. So that's not going to disagree with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. But on a lighter note, Jill Martindale, I don't know if that's, she's like such a badass. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she was fun to interview. 
Also, I felt really cold the whole time. Yeah. Well, I had just gotten back from a freezing cold run. Oh, that's right. But let's face it. It wasn't a freezing cold run. When you talk to Jill Martindale, that's like, that's getting into the temperature where she's comfortable. Um, You know, it was like something like 28 degrees or something that morning when I went out for my run and she was like, that's where I start feeling good. So yeah, um, it was, I could have talked to her for so long because just to give a little sneak peek, she finished Iditarod, which is the, the person human power, what did she call it? The human powered race. Mm -hmm. Um, through Alaska. So a thousand miles and she did it. It was happening during, as everything was happening with the pandemic last year. So they're mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, as the world is shutting down, trying to survive what was the worst conditions they've ever had for this yeah, race. They were, right? Yeah. It was some of the worst condition, one of the worst, worst condition years of the history of the race. So it was just, it's, it's already epic. And then you add the dangers of what they were facing, you know, and the conditions that they were facing onto to the fact that it's just epic to begin with. And it's, it's a, th- a thousand miles, you know, she's talking about when the, when the, the 350 distance, which is also really, di- I mean, that's insane, but you know, they get to McGrath and she's kind of stuck there in McGrath for several days. I was thinking about it a couple of days later. I'm like, oh my God, she wasn't even halfway and had to leave there. <laughs> And that's, you know, like that's, I know that people like I've heard Rebecca Russian interview and she's talked about, they kind of knew what was happening at that time Mm -hmm. in McGrath. And then they kept going, one of my favorites still tell the whole story, but is because the villages were shutting down because that was when the world was shutting down. We didn't know much about the pandemic. And so they had these little huts and like 25 of them. So it's like dog sleds, the runners, the cyclists were all huddled together in this little hut. So I just pictured like all the dogs and all the people <laughs> snuggled into this little hut. So she was, she does villain. talk about um, their event that they do the winter shakedown in this. Yes. But and she did just email us. So we talk about it, but she did just email us that they had to cancel it. Uh, not because of COVID, because they felt they could do it safely, but there was something that happened with their venue and they just, with all the things around COVID, didn't feel right scrambling to find a new ven- venue. So you'll hear about that. Unfortunately, they had to cancel it, but good news is you can put it on your schedule for next year yeah, as a wish exactly. list thing. It, it, it sort of tips on my wish list. Don't, you don't <laughs> like cold though. <laughs> but I really want to try it. And like she said that they have, like, it's kind of a modified way to do it in the cold. So oh yeah. We talked about it. We could sleep in our cars yeah. if we went Maybe. instead of camping. I'll take my van. Anyway, it's, it's a great listen. And Jill's just a wonderful human being. And I think that really comes through in the interview. So I'm excited to share. I'm excited to share her with everybody that's listening. Well, let's get on to our interview with Jill Martindale. Hey, Christy. Hi, Catherine. Hey, are you thinking about your 2021 gravel adventures? I don't know who isn't thinking of 2021 gravel adventures. I know. Well, I kind of have a new bucket list race. What is it? It is a gravel stage race right outside of Calgary, Canada called the Trans Rockies Gravel Royale. Have you heard of this? Um, You know what? I have. I think it sounds amazing. Four days, four days of riding, 230 miles, 23,000 feet of climbing, and it's all in the Canadian Rockies. I think that sounds epic. Yeah, it's set up where they carry your tents, cook your food, and provide your medical support and more. And like set up a big party every night. 
That is the best kind of glamping right there. Yeah, it's really the only kind of glamping I will do. <laughs> I, I believe that. <laughs> and you know what's cool is they are holding early bird spots for women because they're really working to get more women on the starting line. So if I people are that. interested, where do you think they should go, Christy? Uh, TransRockiesGravelRoyale.com. I bet that site's got all the information. <laughs> I think it does. And fingers crossed we'll be at some awesome 2021 adventure soon. Hello, Catherine. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, nice sunny day here in Georgia. Well, you know, who knows what the weather's going to be like when this, uh, this podcast comes out, but uh, I just finished a very cold run and cold runs made me think about our uh, guest today, Jill Martindale. Um, Jill, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you both. You know, cold weather and being outside you're definitely one of my heroes <laughs> that I think about when I think about uh, trying to exercise or explore or adventure out in the outdoors when it's uh well, I think of cold weather as below like 45. So <laughs> I think your, I think your threshold's probably a little bit different. I, uh, I truthfully don't know how I, I love cold weather so much. Uh, but today is 35 degrees and like, rain snowing in Michigan and for me that's warm and I was overheating out on a jog earlier today <laughs> I love it around zero below zero is great I'm like 35 and I'm like yeah I don't think I'm gonna go outside today <laughs> I'm like bundled to the max taking my dog for a walk at 35 in my defense I have lived in the south my entire life <laughs> So, well, Jill, why don't you start? Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to know who you are because when I put out a note, like who would you like to have on the podcast? Several yeah. people wanted to hear from you. Uh, but for people that maybe don't know you yet, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into cycling? And then we'll talk about some of your epic cycling, very cold and epic, epic cycling. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Jill Martindale and I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I work at Velocity USA, manufacturing uh, bicycle wheels and rims and all that good stuff. Um, but I actually started cycling um, when I started working in a bike shop back in 2011. I graduated from college with a writing degree and thought that I would just start working in a bike shop until I got like a grown-up job. Um, but I fell in love with the bike industry and the owner of the bike shop that I was at, Tom Smith, um, it used to be the Ada Bike Shop, now it's Grand Rapids Bicycle Company. Uh, Tom Smith handed me a fat bike off of the floor and just told me, go have fun with it. And um, I fell in love with fat biking in the winter, and then I fell in love with doing long distance stuff and being on the bike all day long. Um, and since then, I've gone on to organize the Women's Only Mountain Bike Race, uh, Skirts in the Dirt. I was inducted into the Michigan Mountain Bike Hall of Fame for my promotions towards getting um, women into the sport. And um, I've gone on to do a lot of winter ultras, um, endurance, gravel events, just kind of trying to get my fingers in everything. I love it all. So um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> when you got that fat bike, did you first take it on trails or did you take it on gravel? Where'd you kind of start your journey? 
So um, Danielle Musto uh, is in Grand Rapids as well. And uh, she raced for Salsa. Um, and so I was given the spat bike to go and race. And I was able to carpool with Danielle to a lot of the Great Lakes spat bike series, spat bike races. Um, and the first year that I participated in the series, I got second overall. I think a lot of it was because of the participation and just like the perseverance of sticking it out through like tough, sloppy stuff. But a lot of it was um, groomed single track or ungroomed single track and just trying to put, you know, my body on that bike as much as possible to just get used to the cue factor and the bike fit and how it handles. Um, so I basically am just on the fat bike um, a majority of the year just riding it for everything. Um, but yeah, I started with the groomed, groomed trails and um, just kind of went from there. So for people that maybe live in the South like me, where these fat bike things don't really exist because why would they? <laughs> Can you just explain like the overview of like what makes a fat bike different than a mountain bike or a gravel bike? Why and where would you ride it? And how do you not fall through the snow when you ride it? <laughs> So um, the really neat thing about fat bikes is that they have such big tires and there's a ton of uh, float essentially in the tires. So they're wider, so they can roll over snow a little bit better, um, but there's more volume to the tires. So you don't need a suspension fork uh, because the tires essentially soak up a lot of the vibrations and a lot of the, the like bounciness that you would feel on like a mountain bike trail. So uh, fat bikes, you can use them year round and they're really good in the sand, in the snow, um, rolling over roots and rocks. It's like a monster truck. It just kind of goes over everything, which is really, really fun. Um, but they are, uh, you know, a little bit heavier sometimes than like a carbon fiber gravel bike would be. Uh, but really, once you get that momentum going, it's, it's just pretty, I don't know, for me, it feels kind of easy just rolling along once you kind of get into like that magic speed so and what about when you hit like ice or something like that so they make studded tires for fat bikes too uh 45 north um makes a lot of really amazing fat bike tires and they uh they have like a fat bike tire for every condition which is really <laughs> awesome it's like uh sloppy and mushy out they have you know the wrath child for that if it is um, hard packed, perfect groomed trail. They've got the Dillinger five or the Dillinger four, which is really fun. Um, but on the ice, uh, you can start the Dillinger five or the Dillinger four. And so those just grip really well on the ice, but I love the Wrath Lords. Uh, it's like a super gnarly, aggressive tread tire. And it has, uh, like these extra large studs in it. So it sounds like you're making bacon when you're riding on gravel. <laughs> <laughs> But it like, it grips everything. So right now uh, we're in this weird weather in Michigan where during the day it is um, kind of warmer. So the snow starts to melt and then during the night it freezes. So there's just like really chunky, gross, like icy, crispy snow um, in a lot of places. And those wrath children just like scoot right over it, which is, I don't know, it's, it's really fun and it's loud. And if you like grab your brake, brakes really fast and they skid and they make this like really aggressive sound. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's fun because you get to roll over everything, but it's also fun because it's loud and it makes funny noises. Yeah. <laughs> I was just uh, up at, uh, I was visiting my family for the holidays. They live out in Washington state and we went up to Rainier, which I'd hiked in the summer when I visited them. 
and you couldn't even see the trails. And then I, they were, I was like, learned why people have snowshoes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, if you don't have snowshoes, you fall waist deep into the snow. So I'm imagining maybe fat tires are kind of like snowshoes. Yeah, exactly. Um, that wider surface area kind of stays on top of the softer stuff a little bit better. Um, there are times, I mean, if you're, if the snow is really soft and if a trail has not been groomed yet, then you might wind up hike a biking for a little while. Um, but I guess that doesn't really bother me because it just kind of looks like a snow globe. So even if you're moving slower, um, it's still really pretty out and the white snow and everything looks really clean and fresh. And that you're, those types of conditions, because I've heard Jay Peter very talking about breaking trail on the Iditarod um, and that, you know, you want to, you wait, like I'm, I have never done it and it is not even on my long list of things to do. I mean, it always kind of enters the long list after I watch everybody do it and then it falls right back off like two weeks later, like what the hell are you thinking? Um, but so when he's talking about that, is that like the snowmobiles go through or what's what does that mean when they're talking about breaking trail? Yeah, so they send um, the Iditarod sled dog uh, race sends out their trail breakers which is a bunch of snow machines. And essentially they go out and they break trail um, because it's just constantly snowing in Alaska mm -hmm. and the trail is constantly getting covered up with wind and snow and stuff. So uh, they send this, the snow machines out and they break the trail, but sometimes the snow drifts still like go right over the trail. Uh, so you're, you're following um, like a trail marker or you're following a, a trail of dog booties and like dog pee. <laughs> I totally jumped way ahead with that question because like obviously we're talking about the Iditarod and, and you last year um, right before the pandemic really hit started your thousand miles to know correct like you did the full yeah full yeah month. why don't you tell everybody what the Iditarod is yeah. just for people that don't know and then yeah. we have a lot of questions about this <laughs> obviously <laughs> Um, so the Iditarod uh, Trail Invitational, there's a couple different distances. Uh, the 350 mile race goes from outside of Anchorage, so it's uh, Nick, Alaska. You leave from this bar with, that serves like these amazingly huge greasy burgers. Mm. Um, so you leave from this bar and you're all on snow machine trails, uh, which is just really fun and really pretty. Um, so McGrath is the end of the 350 mile race and you wind up at this um, wonderful couple's house and they just continually feed you and everybody is hanging around inside like sharing stories and everything so it's it's really fun in McGrath but it's also really hard to leave McGrath and so um, like I had a little bit of like sadness knowing that I couldn't like stay and party with people um, but we did have to wait for the trail breakers to to go path um, there's no trail broken from McGrath to the next point, which was Cripple. So we had to wait in McGrath for like two days, um, which was great because I had hurt my knee from hike biking uh, so much. They had so much snow this year that it was just really soft. I was getting passed by a lot of the runners and um, just losing the trail and pushing and, and it was like knee deep snow in spots. And then, um, and then uh, yeah, past Past McGrath, the thousand mile race goes all the way to Nome. So it follows the historic uh, Iditarod sled dog trail and then ends in Nome. And usually there's like a huge finish line party. And um, some of the cyclists will finish around the same time that 
some of the last like sled dog mushers are finishing. So there's the people cheering for the mushers and for the sled dog teams. And then there's the people cheering for us. There's this huge arch. There's tons of bars that have amazing food. Um, this year, because of the pandemic, by the time we finished, everything in Nome was shut down and they had actually like taken the arch down and moved it. So it was like a very anticlimactic finish rolling into Nome. Um, but yeah, it's a, a thousand mile fat bike race or sorry, it's a 1000 mile uh, human powered race is the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Um, so skiers, runners and bikers get to go out there. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really amazing. You get to visit these villages uh, and all the locals have been hosting like the Iditarod Trail Invitational um, checkpoints for a while. So everybody gets to know the racers and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty raw and like really beautiful and snowy and fun. Okay, and my first question is what made you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> and then Christy can ask her question, but I have to know this first. <laughs> so after, um, after I spent my first season fat bike racing, um, I found that I loved the longer distance races. And um, uh, a little bit more background, I guess, about me is I've ridden around Lake Superior and Lake Michigan and um, Lake Ontario. So I love being on the bike and I love multi-day bike trips. So um, once I decided that I loved fat biking, um, I wanted to do, I did a ride because it's like, I don't know, to me, it seemed like the ultimate fat bike race. And so I wanted to do it and, uh, in order to Go and do Iditarod you have to qualify for it so my first winter ultra was the Tuscobia uh at the time it was the Tuscobia 150 now that it's the Tuscobia 160 so I did the the 150 and it took me over 25 hours and I had all the wrong gear and I cried a lot um and uh like I finished and I was just there was like nobody at the finish line and I had made so many mistakes um so for me, I wanted to do Iditarod because it, it was something that was, was pretty and fun. And I, I liked fat biking and I liked camping on my bike. Uh, so I just, I wanted to get good at it. I don't, I don't really know why. <laughs> so I, I uh, after Tuscobia, I got, um, you know, a little bit more serious about uh, dialing in all the weird um, little things that you have to think about. And I mean, every ride I learned something new and um, so yeah, I just, it seemed like the most epic fat bike race and I wanted to go and do it. Well, that like brought up a 10 more questions. So, <laughs> but, um, first my understanding were the conditions at I did a ride for 2020 were exceptionally poor, but like the, like the, the snow and the weather, and it just made it all the more difficult. Um, obviously you saying that you had to stay there in McGrath for two days is an indication of that. And you guys all, you finished with, there were only three finishers for the thousand mile. That's correct. Right. Yep. Um, so, uh, it was myself, Peter Inman. He's from the Chicago area and, uh, Casey Fegerquist. He is from Anchorage. Um, so the three of us, uh, when we left McGrath, we didn't have plans to stay together. Uh, Casey wanted to go and and haul and finish it as fast as he could. And, and Peter wanted to enjoy the ride and I just wanted to survive and to finish. Um, but when we got to Cripple, uh, Casey got there first 
and the drop bags weren't there yet. So we had to, he had to wait for those. Um, and then uh, the Bering Sea, the ice just broke. Yeah. So the two of us were like luckily on the right side of the trail. But after that storm surge came through, they had to evacuate everybody else from the course because there was just no way for them to, to get to the next village. Um, and so we started riding together, I think because the conditions were so poor. It was so much pushing. Like there were days when we could only go 20 miles in a whole day. It would be like a 19 hour stretch of just pushing your bike through like maybe snow. So we started working together um, to, so that we could alternate breaking trail and pushing because it gets easier, you know, the further back you are um, behind people. And then um, we just kind of became friends and decided that we had to finish together. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was soft. Um, so like the men's course record to getting to Nome, I want to say is like 10 days. The women's course record is 17 days. Uh, Jill Homer owns that one. Um, and so it took us over 22 days to get there. And that I think is just an indication of how soft everything was. I guess I just look at that and think, you know, there just isn't a ton of room for error um, when you're out there. And I don't, you know, I don't know if, how, how easy it is for listeners to kind of get their head around that. But, you know, I was watching the dots get, you know, I'm totally intrigued by the, I did a rod I have been for years. Um, and just thinking, oh, thank God they're together. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's literally like what was going through my head was that, uh, this isn't a year to race. This is a year to survive and finish. And um, I was so impressed with your performance out there. I mean, I think I changed my profile pic to, <laughs> I think Jenny Acker did that. And I, <laughs> that was, like, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I didn't have phone service for like days at a time. So when we would roll through a village and there would be an internet connection, um, I would see all the, all of these messages pop up where I saw everybody's uh, profile pictures changed. And it's just like, it was just really emotional because it was so hard out there. And there were a couple of times when we thought that we were going to be done riding because we thought it was unsafe to continue. And, and we thought we were going to get pulled from the course. Um, but we had all trained so hard and worked so hard to be out there that like, it was just really important to finish. And so like, you're, you're sad and you're shelled and you're tired. And then you get to this checkpoint and all of a sudden, like all of your friends start popping up with all these like encouraging messages and, and like everybody's changing their pictures. And so it was just kind of like, I got to keep going. Like, there's no way that I can finish. No pressure. <laughs> it was like the heartbreak of like coming home and telling people that I didn't finish was like the worst heartbreak I could ever imagine. So I had to I had to just keep going um but it was yeah it was it was interesting out there like if you get too sweaty um then you can get um then you can get way too cold and so you want to you want to be able to ride at a pace to keep the sweat at bay so that you don't get frostbite or you don't you know make a mistake that way but when you're riding in like 35 degrees or I guess pushing in 35 degrees and it's like sideways rain and like 70 mile per hour winds, like you're wet anyways. So we, um, whenever we got to like a shelter cabin um, where we had to make our own fire and sometimes there wasn't uh, a lot of firewood around or sometimes the saws were like, uh, every shelter cabin has like a saw 
um, and like an axe so that you can chop firewood and, and they have like a wood stove so you can make a fire and kind of warm up. So every time we got to a shelter cabin, we had to start a fire and make sure that all of our gear was dry. And then we could, you know, continue onwards. Um, so I was also very thankful that I was with Casey and Peter. Um, I'm much better at starting fires now, but there are a couple of times when like the wood was wet and there wasn't a lot of wood. And uh, I would be like inside of the shelter cabin, like telling Peter and Casey that we should like, let's burn that bench. And Peter and Casey would be like, no, we'll be in a lot of trouble. We can't do that. But Peter would somehow get like a fire started with like the wettest, like grossest looking wood. And then we'd be warm. Oh my God. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. I am just really curious too, because like you said, you were in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and a pandemic was going down. And I remember listening to Rebecca Rush on, like she did the 350 last year. And she talked about like, basically when she was out, everything was unfolding. So then you were out even longer, even more remote. So what was that like, like a pandemic yeah. unfolding while you're out riding? When we were in McGrath, um, everybody was talking about how the pandemic was starting. And um, I just kind of thought it was something like the swine flu or um, like some, like just the normal flu. Like I thought everybody was getting kind of sick, but I didn't realize that it was going to be as bad as it was. Um, so then we left and everything was fine. And the next time we got to like a larger village, um, we heard that it was more serious and some of the villagers didn't even want to come inside of their villages. Um, so I thought everybody was kind of um, overreacting and then uh, heard that Tom Hanks and his wife had gotten uh, COVID and then uh, sports games were getting canceled. Um, so it just became very scary out there. But it was one of those things where it was like this, we didn't know how long COVID was gonna last. Like this could be the last race that we ever did. <laughs> and so like we had to, we had to finish it um, because we didn't know when we would be allowed to like ride bikes with our friends again. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um all of our friends back home like quarantining like we were just kind of like this is the last like sporting event going on in the world right now like we have to keep going and it was it was really cool um like being out there during that and I think that it like made us bond and become mm -hmm. even closer um but I think because of it we became even better friends with the mushers um so like when we were in Elam there were 11 sled dog teams oh cool yeah, it was really neat. Like all of us were crammed inside of this one little firehouse because they didn't want us to go into like the school where we were supposed to sleep. So we had to like, everybody was just stuck in this like little like garage. Um, but it was fun, like getting to talk to everybody and, and getting to meet the mushers and like getting inspired by them and working together with them. Um, but it was funny because in the morning we left Elam, we had to wait for the trail breakers because the sea ice was broken, so they had to break new, like new, new trail, which was just really soft. So it was soft for all the dogs, and it was soft for us. And we pushed like all day for eight miles, and we get to the top of Little McKinley, um, outside of Elam, and there was like a sled dog traffic jam. Uh, they had lost the trail because <laughs> like. <laughs> That's and then we had to wait for all the teams to turn back around and go back to Elam, and then we had to go back to Elam. Um, and then we had to wait overnight and said, 
send the trail uh, trail breakers out again, and then we got to go out again. Um, so that was just like, I don't know, it was it was a really cool experience. Um, at the time, it was really scary, but like looking back on it, it was just a really special, cool thing. Yeah, I am seriously, I, I think I could talk to you about forever on Iditarod, but I wanna talk about what you've got coming up because you're gonna help women that are interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's gotta be three or four of us out there. Yeah, maybe Christy's like back into the, I'm signing up for this. No, I'm not. I'm so That's good. Bad. I think you can get her, Jill. I think you can get her. <laughs> you can totally do it. It's just, you know, if you have um, a positive attitude and you have the right gear and you dial in tire pressure and you're just like, sure, I'll be on my bike all day, uh, then you can do it. You got it, Christy. You got I, it. Oh God, no. Like I love being on my bike all day. Um, but I just did a 40 minute run where I was freezing cold and couldn't wait to come home and get in the shower. So I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I don't know. You're a special breed, Jill. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I wound up like this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I'm so grateful you know, because it's, it's like, it's, it's, there's inspiration that comes out of it. Like maybe that's not what I'm going to do, but you know, you're in moments where you're like, well, holy shit, Jill did that. Like, I can suck it up and get through this, you know? So there's just different levels of inspiration. It doesn't have to be trying to get to the top of a mountain behind some mushers only to turn back and go back to the beginning again. (laughs) (laughs) I inspire myself too, which I know is like really funny to say. Um, I'll I'll get frustrated with my job or uh, with something like here at home or I'll be like, oh, dang it. Like, this thing in the house broke. And um, so I'll get kind of down, but then I'll be like, wait a second, I rode my bike across Alaska. I can do this. Like, this is fine. I can handle this. Uh, yeah. so I think that's a good point though, because that's one of the reasons that I always tell people like do something that challenges you because you gain so much confidence in who you are. It's not even necessarily about that event, the, yeah. what it gives back to your life for the rest of your life of going, well, I did that. Like I trained for that many months and I did an Ironman. I can do hard, like these hard things. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's definitely uh, one of the things that I love about um, just riding bikes in general, because it doesn't have to be like a big epic endurance. Um, It can just be like one little rock garden and every day you try to attempt it and maybe you can't do it. You can't do it. Um, And then like that one day where you can finally ride that thing that you couldn't ride before, like that's just always a good day. So that's good. But um, yeah, so coming up, um, all of the winter ultras essentially have been canceled this year because of COVID. Um, The Iditarod Trail Invitational is still moving forward, which is super awesome. Um, So they have implemented uh, some changes. Um, So it's going to be an outback this year. They're not doing the thousand mile to Nome. Um, I was not planning on going this year because uh, last year it wound up being uh, financially a little bit more than, um, than I was ready for. I mean, I, I, I had a number in mind and I had, I had that saved up. Um, but then when I got home in the pandemic, uh, my husband and I were both out of work for a little while. Um, so we kind of blew through all of our savings, but we knew we were going to do that when I went to Alaska anyways, which is fine. I don't know, but 
<laughs> but um, so I was going to sit out of Iditarod this year anyways. Um, but uh, the weekend that the Chiscobia 160 was supposed to happen, I went out and rode 160 miles over the weekend. And I talked to my friends, Christina P and Jenny Acker into going bike packing with me. Um, but I lured them uh, to uh, some family land and told them that uh, there would be a camper that we could sleep in. And so they, uh, so they had like a dry warm space uh, kind of in mind. So I was able to like trick them to go bike packing with me in the winter. Uh, but when we got to the camper, I didn't realize that my husband's uncle locks it in the winter time because it, because of so many like snow machiners like going through. So we got there and the cabin was locked and Christina and I did not bring sleeping pads. So we had to like, we found lounge chairs underneath the camper and some tarps and just kind of made our own sleeping pads. <laughs> but it was really fun. Um, so next weekend is gonna be the weekend that the Arrowhead 135 was supposed to be. Um, so I'm just gonna go out and ride 135 miles next weekend, um, bike pack it. I'm gonna try to trick my husband into going with me. Um, but uh, one thing that my husband and I do, uh, last year was the first year, so this is our second year. Um, we put on a winter training camp called the Winter Shakedown. And it is geared towards getting people uh, comfortable with playing on their fat bikes in the snow and comfortable with like going out bike packing. And um, we do things that uh, they might expect from a winter ultra. So we do a water boil, uh, a gear check. Um, you practice riding with your bike completely loaded up. And we give tips and help people figure out how to, to pack things on their bikes. Because um, I've definitely made all of the mistakes. Um, and I still make mistakes, but that's the really cool thing about it is that we get to learn from each other. Um, so last year we had a 47% uh, female participation rate with the winter shakedown, which I was really excited with. Um, this year, because of COVID, we are limiting um, the camp to 20 participants. In Michigan, the restrictions are that uh, you can't gather outside in groups of more than 25. So between um, like, our volunteers and ourselves and the people who come to the camp. Um, it'll be a smaller group, but I think that it'll be a little bit more intimate and really exciting and fun. So. Well, and it seems like that would be a COVID safe place. I mean, yeah. you know, like- yeah, I think so, because um, yeah. we'll all be outside the entire time um, and people are bringing, um, so bivvies um, are usually something that is a required gear item. But because this is an intro to winter bikepacking or to winter um, like an ultra, uh, people can bring their bivy or they can bring their tent. Um, we'll be park or we'll be camping near uh, where the parking lot is. So if people want to bring just like tons of blankets, they can set up like a huge lush tent and like bring a bunch of blankets and like practice sleeping out that way. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I would be myself ending up in my car in the middle of the night. <laughs> How long is my extension cord? Can I plug it into my <laughs> car liner and <laughs> in your tent? <laughs> be, um, I'm yeah. excited. Last, last year we rented. Um, we hosted it at this this place by Yankee Springs, uh, which is a mountain bike trail here in Michigan. Um, so we hosted it at this camp where they had uh, sh like shelter cabins. So everybody had uh, a cabin with heat oh, cool. and electricity, which was like really 
really cozy. Um, but this year, because of COVID, um, we moved the camp to Owasapi, um, and they actually have a lodge with uh, 30 bunks in it. So moving forward, when COVID um, has become, you know, something of the past, uh, we'll be able to all sleep inside of this lodge together. But um, Owasapi allows us all to camp outside too. So theoretically, in the future, you can try to bivy, and if you get cold, then you can just like wander inside and sleep yeah. inside the bunk. Um, but right. this maybe year, I'll look at that. Yeah, if yeah. there's a bailout yeah. option. No. no, I sold my fat bike. <laughs> she can find one for you to borrow. Yeah. I call yeah. it Jill Kim. <laughs> oh man. Well, how do they how do they how do folks find this and sign up for that? Yep. So the website is wintershakedown.com. Uh, and you can register. Um, we're on bike reg. Uh, you can sign up through there. Um, this year it is cheaper than what it was last year because um because we're not going to have as, as many big elaborate things because we're not sleeping inside of the shelter cabins. Um, so we, we made it a little bit more affordable this year. We've already got, uh, I think, 10 or 11 people registered. So um, we're about half full, which is um, more than I expected because I, I just, um, I wasn't sure if people were going to want to like gather in a group with COVID. So I'm, I'm really excited and really excited to see some like repeat names from last year too, which is really cool. Nice. Awesome. And Jill, are we going to see you lining up at any gravel events this year, depending on COVID of course? Yeah. Um, hopefully. So I know Barry Roubaix pushed back, uh, to October. Um, so I'll be there for that. Um, Unbound Gravel, I'm really hoping to make it out for, um, and then uh, I did sign up for, uh, there's this organization in Michigan called Camp Vertical. Hmm. And this year they're offering a Camp Vertical gravel camp. Um, so I did sign up for that. That's in early March. So fingers crossed uh, that is able to happen. Um, it just, you know, everybody's kind of rescheduling right now. Um, like any of the spring events are kind of pushing back to the fall. Um, so... I don't know. I wish I had like a more concrete schedule, um, but I'm just kind of playing it by ear and got to roll with it at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, got to roll with it. Make it through like one season at a time, um, and then figure it out from there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping to be able to to do the events as soon as they're you know safe, but also um, I've kind of switched to doing a little bit more like. Uh, I don't know, I'm wanting to go out and adventure on like a hundred mile gravel ride here from home. And I've been like having a lot of fun with trying to figure out new routes and new places to ride um, and trying to figure out like maybe a bike packing uh, fat bike loop in Michigan or um, any of that stuff. So I want to do more bike packing and I'm excited about more gravel and nice. more of everything. <laughs> Well, that sounds awesome. Well, where can people follow you if they want to follow your adventures? Are yeah. You- um, so I have done a horrible job with upkeeping my blog. Um, and I'm hoping, I don't know, 2021, this is the year, right? Um, so uh, jillmartindale.blogpost, or what is it? Blog Jill Mar- yeah, blogspot. I have a blogspot. Um, you can find me there uh, on Instagram, Bill Fartindale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was my grandpa's nickname and it just kind of carried on 
to me. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. Kids in kids in elementary school are like very original, but it's stuck. So. <laughs> well, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I kind of want to go drink some hot chocolate. <laughs> now that I've heard you talk about all this cold stuff. Um, but uh, this is amazing just to hear all these stories and all the cool things you've done. Well, we can put links to the to the camp and to the skirts in the dirt. That's right, right? That's yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Perfect. And Bill Fartendale. And Bill Fartendale. <laughs> it was really good to talk with you both. You're very easy to talk with. Oh, thanks. Thank <laughs> thanks so much, Jill. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.